0: Well, good morning, everybody. Trust you have an eager expectation of what God is going to uh, do this morning, right? And um, there are a lot of people that are watching online, so we do want to welcome those who are, are watching from around the world. Well, either not now or at some point they will be watching from around the world, but we know there's some people watching from Australia. We know that there's some people watching from Montreal. And uh, we're, we're excited for you, and, and we know that God is going to do something fantastic uh, in your life today as well. I want to start off today with a couple things. And, you know, this has been a really interesting time for me. And I know Carl is, or Pastor Carl is probably on Space Mountain, or maybe he's having a, a pineapple dole whip, and he's watching online right now, or maybe he just really just trusts us that we know what we're doing. Hmm? Oh, he's driving. Oh, well, then... Awesome. But nonetheless, um, we're really grateful that he's entrusted us with this service. And last week, Zach just did amazing. Um, I'm very envious of um, Zach because he is very smart, and um, he has all the right words and all the right phrases and puts it all together correctly, and then I show up and just, it is what it is. Um, But nonetheless, I want to say a couple things here before I get going. That change happens when we represent the Father's heart of God, or the Father heart of God, everywhere we go. I didn't say represent, I say when we represent. And that the unveiling of His love in us reveals to the world what we are truly made of and what we are truly made for. And this morning I'm going to be talking a little bit about John chapter 11 and John chapter 12, when it talks about the, the raising of Lazarus. And, you know, what a phenomenal uh, worship that was. And and every song kind of related to the message, which really wasn't a coincidence because I live with her. And, you know, we had gone over some of these things already. But how many know Yahweh is the way? Can we start there? That Yahweh is not a way. Yahweh is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to anybody but through Him. I get excited about that. And I also get excited about that, Today very well could be your resurrection day. That whatever it is that you are going through, whatever situation that you came in, that it very well could be your resurrection day. In John chapter 11, Jesus reveals himself as the resurrection and the life, and he was about to prove it because he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives, believes in me, will never die. Do you
1: believe this? Good morning, my name is Remy Legacy, and here is my story. I was brought up in a non-Christian home. Both of my parents were alcoholics. I was abused physically, mentally, and sexually by family members. I had my first taste of alcohol at the age of 10, my first cigarette at the age of 13, and my first taste of drugs at the age of 15. I ended up being a full-grown drug addict, alcoholic, and smoking three packs of cigarette by the age of 18. I end up in a mental institute. I tried to commit suicide three times. I was invited to an evangelical church on Easter Sunday in 1979. I was invited because there was an Easter play and they were talking about Jesus. At the end of the service, there was an altar call. I ran to the altar and asking Jesus for forgiveness and to come into my life and to be my Lord and my savior. Instantly, the... the taste of alcohol, cigarettes, and drugs were taken away from me instantly. And I give God all the glory and all the honor for being my Lord and my Savior. Lean over
0: to your neighbor and tell him it ain't over. It wasn't over for Remy. It isn't over for anybody. It wasn't over for me. It wasn't over for Steve. It ain't over because when the resurrection shows up, he also brings life. And some of you are walking into this place here tonight, today, and you think, I don't know if I have much life left in me. It ain't over because Jesus is here. The resurrection is here. I am Yahweh. Yahweh is the way, is here. And I know it's going to be a phenomenal day for you. I can't wait. I love this whole story when it talks about the resurrection, because there may come a time when you're going to have to put up or shut up, back it up or back it down. And sadly, many people have backed down. They never really took the example of Jesus when he said that, I am the life, I am the way, I am the resurrection. And the only thing of significance in this story about Lazarus was that he died, Yet, when Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was ill, they said, Lord, the one that you love is sick. And there's really not a whole lot that we hear about um, uh, Mary and Martha. We first meet this family in Luke, and we, we meet part of them. We hear Mary and Martha, and you're probably familiar with the story of Luke where Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for one of the great Jewish feasts with. And Martha came out to meet him with an invitation to dinner. I like that lady already. But while Martha opened up her home, it was her sister Mary who opened the heart. We all know that Jesus loved Mary. And after all, you know, you look how she worshiped. And we can understand even how uh, Jesus loved Mary by the way that she served. But here's the question. What about those who, who know or don't know where they fit in the heart of God? like Lazarus. And strangely, Luke never even mentions Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus. Perhaps he wasn't home when Martha held her dinner party. Perhaps he was away on business. Or perhaps he was just there all the time, but no one really noticed. And some people are like that, that they have perfected the art of invisibility. Experts at fading into the background, and they go out of their way not to attract attention. And when they get noticed, they feel great discomfort. I don't know if you're one of those type of a people here today, and I don't have no way of knowing if everything that I just said about Lazarus was true, but scripture doesn't give any information as to who he was or what he was like, only that he lived in Bethany, and he had two sisters, and we finally meet him in John chapter 11 at the invitation of a funeral. Think about this in verse chapter, or chapter uh, 11, verse 1, and he says, now a man named Nat, Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, and Bethany literally means the house of suffering. He was in this village of Mary and his sister Martha, and Lazarus, his word actually means God helps, or God is my help. So understand the foundation of the story long before we get into into it, That Lazarus' name means God's help, or God is my help, and he's in the house of suffering. I mean, that's not a good place to live or start from, but nonetheless, that's where we are starting from today. Because there may be some of you who have walked in here today, and you are in this situation as well. You're in the house of suffering, and you're saying, God, can you help me? Will you help me? And the answer is, Yahweh is on the way. Turn over to your neighbor again and said, it ain't over So verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. And Jesus loved Martha and her, sister, and her sister, and he loved Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Jesus was sick, in verse 6, he stayed where he was for another two more days. Now, I think this story takes a dramatic turn right about here. Because here's a situation that they're going through some stuff. And in the street they may have it a different name. You may be going through stuff. And you may be in a crisis situation. And and you may be doing your mayday, mayday. And you may be thinking, you know, I need you now. I don't need you two days from now. I don't need you four days from now. You don't understand. My bills are due. My kids are lost. I'm about to lose my house. I can't pay my rent. I've struggled and struggled with this addiction and I can't be free. God, where are you? And he says, chill, I'll be there in a couple days. Now, I don't know if you've ever been through stuff like that, but I've certainly been through stuff like that, where where my only prayer was, help! I didn't need thee. O God, who sitteth on the circumference of the universe and carved out the grand cane. Oh, mighty hand of God, thou hast... I didn't need the King James prayers at that point. When you're on deathbed and you need an answer, you need it quick. And how many have ever treated God like like the casino, like the slot machine? You're like, I need my answer now. Are you going to take care of this situation? Yes. Now? No. In a couple days. And then you freak out even more because now you feel left out. You feel abandoned. You feel alone. And you feel like, okay, where are you now, big man? Where are you now? You're most holy. I need you now. I thought you were going to answer my prayers. I need you now. And he says, I'll get there. Here's the word for you today that when you're sleeping, God is sowing. God is always preparing something special for you even in the midst of your crisis. Because I don't know about you, whenever you pray for patience or whenever I pray for patience, God seems to bring a crisis. The answer doesn't always come when I demand it, but it comes. Because how many know God is timeless and he doesn't function in the the realm of time? He doesn't function by a clock. He doesn't function by our demands. He doesn't function by our commands. I command the blessing. Really? Really? Okay, we'll see how that works. Genesis 2, 7, and 8. God formed the man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the bread of life. And the man became a being. I mean, really know until God breathes life into you, they're really not just yours just there. But you become a being. And then he planted a garden and put Adam in. And when Adam wasn't aware of his surroundings, God was working behind the scenes and about to surprise him. I realize God is always about surprises. Maybe that's why they call that word faith, that God is always about surprises and he has something specific for you, even though you can't see it right now. And here's the backdrop of verse four, that when Jesus spoke and he, and he, and he said in verse four, he said that the sickness will not end in death. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus spoke, which which direction did he sow the words to? He sowed the words to the grave long before Lazarus was on his way there. Uh, You're going to get this tomorrow. I don't know, but we'll see. Every word that came out of his mouth and yours has an assignment. And while you are functioning in fear, he is functioning in faith. Jesus sent his word to the place where not where Lazarus was going to end up. I don't know if you're getting this, but he was waiting for the command to come forth. The word was sent, and it wasn't until a couple more days later that it had to be attached to come forth. I don't know, but this sickness will not end in death. Tell your neighbor, my answer is on the way. It is. Because if God spoke it in your lifetime, it'll happen in your lifetime. God's word never comes back void. Say it with me: God's word never comes back void. It never comes back empty. It is always right on time. What you gonna do, brother? It's always right on time. You know, I don't know what the year was, but we had a situation a few a long time ago. Where an evangelist by the name of Dr. Uh, Donald Northrup came to Calgary, Alberta, when I was traveling with Cheryl's mom and dad. And he called Cheryl and I out in the crowd and he says, Young couple. I like that word, young. Now he could be saying old man, but he said, Young couple. And he he had us stand up. And he said, you're going to be speaking, he said, no, he said, your words are going to go forth like, a, like an arrow, like a hot coal, which was really awesome, but I was just taking out the garbage and driving the bus and washing the buses at the time, I wasn't even doing really Sunday school lessons, how is my word going to go forth like an arrow, and pierce the hearts of those that are listening to it, he said, you're going to be speaking to tens of thousands of people, I said, great, that's awesome, when, tomorrow, it was what, how many years after, like. Oh, geez, 10 years. How many realize quite often in our microwave mentality that when God speaks, sometimes God's word has to be on the back burner because it has to brew a little bit. It has to stew a little bit. But quite often then we want to act on the word very quickly and sometimes we can work our way out of the will of God in our lives. But the fact remained that when God spoke, he sowed something in the womb of our expectancy. And when that began to happen, it wasn't until, you know, 10 years later. But the fact is that the word was sown. The word was given long before it ever happened. Jesus is never moved by the urgency, but he's moved by obedience. Why? Because obedience always paves the way for the miraculous. That when that word was sown to the grave, it was waiting for Lazarus to show up. And sometimes we can be moved by the urgent right out of the will of God because in our humanity, listen, we respond from the place of compassion and belief and we think that urgent equals God. But by waiting, the Father is going to be glorified even even all the more. And I don't know if there's ever been times in your life when you needed God to move right now when he takes his sweet holy time. But I've had that on many, many occasions. But the word today for you is this, that God's delays are not his denials. That the silence of God is, is not the absence of God. And I don't know if God was about to show up then and, 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 and teach, these, teach Mary and Martha a little bit about patience. And we talked a, bit, a little bit about that earlier. I'm like God. Give me patience and hurry, because in the midst of your crisis, you know you need the answers right away. Your circumstances does not dictate the outcome. When you feel there's no hope, He shows up. I mean, God gives hope, not dope, hugs, not drugs. Any questions? Stephen Furtick says, you're either going to live your life defined by what you go through or by who you belong to. Hmm. I need the brothers and sisters to throw some love a little bit more. You're either going to live your life defined by what you go through or by who you belong to. You are not a victim of your circumstances. Deuteronomy 23, 5 says, but the Lord, thy God, turned the intended curse into a blessing because he loves you. Don't ever look at the curse, but look at the blessings. You were never functioned and created the design to be walking in a curse, but you were created to be a blessing everywhere you go. And I don't know about you, but you notice when Jesus comes on the scene, what seems to be the end is rarely the end. In fact, nearly, it's always a new beginning. That's why when he said, I am the resurrection, I am the life, it doesn't matter what you're going through, he's here to bring life into your situation. Even when your friends think you've lost your brains, he's here to bring life. Mary and Martha were hoping for a miracle, and what they hoped for arrived. Hoping is not a wish. Oh, God, I hope you show up in your most holiness, please. The biblical word for hope is the joyful anticipation of good. It's the eager expectation of an abundance of goodness. And answers that are delayed always brings you in the greater faith. It always does. Bill Johnson says this. He says, any area of our life for which we have no hope is under the influence of a lie. So that when the enemy comes in and he tries to steal, kill, and destroy, understand that he's just a liar. He's the author of lies. He's the finisher of lies. He's the creator of lies. Then when he tries to abort your dreams and steal your hope, understand that Jesus is the Yahweh. He is the way. He is the truth. Yahweh is the way. That's why I love that song you did. It was so awesome. I was over there going, Jesus is the way. Have you ever had people come and try to abort those dreams? Have you ever had people try to steal what you know, steal the seed that you know that God planted inside of you? You know how many of the mature believers, the mature believer recognizes when the seed is trying to be sown, and then you need to learn how to protect your seed. You need to learn how to protect. The word that is sown by some of the great men and women of God that have come into this house and have spoken life into you, even in the midst of your death and your decay and your dying situations, that they've come and they've spoken life and they've given that seed of hope for each and every one of you. Sorry for spitting on you. (laughs) Jesus was about to speak truth to Lazarus. and truth spoken in love always carries presence. Oh yeah. You may not always understand the truth or even the origin and question how, but you will respect the origin of the word out of the demonstration of it. And Mary and Martha and the entire community was about to experience and witness Christ in action. Listen to this very, very carefully that there's always hope when Jesus is writing your story. There's always hope when Jesus is writing your story. And never place a period when God placed a comma because an exclamation point is about to come. When your friends say that it's over, it ain't over. Death for the believer is nothing more than a comma in the story of life. Boop, dead life. Can you imagine what that would have been like with Lazarus and Mary and Martha? And Jesus said, oh, you know, Jesus said, he's only sleeping. Well, no, I don't know about that. He looked dead to me. <laughs> Matter of fact, after four days, the brother begins to stank. How I many know after four days, you don't stink anymore. You stank. I mean, the odor is bad, you're decaying, it's gross, you stink. Ain't no deodorant on the planet going to fix that. Verse 11 and 14, he says, he went on to tell them that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. And this is how dumb these disciples were. Disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. They didn't understand the brother was dead. They just thought he was sleeping. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant that he was sleeping. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, but let's go to him anyway. And I don't understand parts of the story because parts of it says, that on one hand, is he sleeping? Yep. Is he dead? Yep. Well, what is he? Sleeping? Yep. Is he dead? Yep. Then when is he, sleeping or dead? Both. Because in your situation, you might think he's dead, but it's only sleeping. I don't know. I kind of look at it as like taking a nap. NAP, not a problem. Whatever problem you're going through, it's just sleeping. It's just in dormant. It ain't dead. Nothing's dead. When Jesus shows up, nothing is dead. While you're sleeping, he is speaking. Psalm 147.15 says, he sends out his command to the earth and his word runs swiftly. He spoke the end from the beginning because he is the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. And Jesus can speak to whatever is dead in your life and bring it back to life. And that's why Deuteronomy says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that boom proceeds out of the mouth of God. He sees the parade from the beginning to the end. He sees it from the rooftop while you're just looking at it on the sidewalk. You're looking at your life in the middle of a sidewalk. Yep, death, yep, 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 death. death." And he's on top of the roof going, "Hmm, life. Sometimes you need to get into the presence of God in order to experience the presence of God. The P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. You need to get into his presence to experience his gifts. I don't know if you'll get that tomorrow, maybe on the replay, but at some point you'll get it. The enemy always comes in the middle. That Satan's greatest opposition comes at the point of your breakthrough. That he always wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that was planted By the Holy Spirit. Listen, guys, some of you need to stop quoting facts and start declaring truth. I don't know. Your doctor may say one thing. Your friend might say another thing. And the truth says, he whom the son says free is free indeed. And the truth says in Isaiah that by his stripes, you are already healed. Start declaring the the truth. For while it may not add up in our human calculations... The truth of God's love always lies at the heart of the gospel and that while we were still sinners in Romans 5 and 8, that he came and he died for us. We may not always understand the math ourselves or reason out such amazing grace, but we'll simply ask our Heavenly Father who longs to help us and find the bottom line, that Jesus goes to help those who are suffering in the tomb of death and decay. I don't know, but I'm going to talk a little bit in a couple moments here about what that really means in the heart of the Father and how, how, that, how that correlates between reaching the tombs of this city. Lazarus represents all of humanity, who's a portrait of the walking dead. In verse 17, says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Ugh. Where have you laid him? Jesus said, take me to the place where you buried him. And all tears aside, he knew that he was there for a purpose. So Jesus said, take me to where you laid him. In other words, take me to the place where you stopped believing. Okay. Jesus knew that Mary and Martha were still in the process of mourning their loss. And he knew that they had looked at their brother's lifeless corpse as it was wrapped for burial. And he knew that pain of death was still all too familiar to them. But he also knew that they needed to exhibit faith on their way to their breakthrough. Oh, you'll see this in a minute. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Look, he's dead. Now the significance of Lazarus being in the tomb, some of you don't know this, but the significance of Lazarus being in the tomb for four days was not to show a lack of concern on Jesus' part because Jewish tradition held that a person's spirit would hang around the body for three days and after the spirit, it would leave. So after four days in all accounts, the dude was flat super dead and it was about to be a... Ridiculous miracle because in verse 23, Jesus said, your brother will rise again. I don't know, but if you got stuff in your life that is super dead and people that you hang around with tell you it ain't happened, it ain't going to work, it's never going to come to life again, you're wasting your time. Why even bother going to that church? Don't listen to that crazy Pastor Carl and that crazy Pastor Cheryl. And for God's sake, don't listen to that psycho Bob. <laughs> because everything in your life stinketh. You think your life stinks? Lazarus was dead for four days. Ooh, that's a rank. Verse 35 says, Jesus wept. And then verse uh, 25 says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, do you believe this? See, sometimes it doesn't matter what you're going through. What really matters is do you believe that he can get you through it? That's why scripture says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. The problem is some of y'all are camped out in the valley of, oh no! You're camped out in the valley of death. And he not only weeps over the city of London like he did for Jerusalem, but he also weeps over the everyday concerns of his creation. Because when you mourn, he mourns. When you rejoice, he rejoices. Pope Leo said in his humanity, Jesus wept for Lazarus. But in his divinity, he raised them from the dead. The sorrow, the sympathy and compassion Jesus felt was for all mankind. The rage he felt was against the tyranny of death over mankind. If we become, listen, if we become too intellectual and believe only by science and not recognizing presence by faith, then we can be given a word that was supposed to bring life and completely miss the opportunity like when Jesus said, come forth. Because for some of you here, you're waiting for some great revelation as opposed to watching what what God has already done in the lives of other believers in this congregation. And some of you may may be missing your breakthrough because you're waiting for some scientific confirmation. Confirmation. When all you have to do is look at other people, but your flesh is going to kick in and your flesh is going to say, well, God only did it for them because he likes them and he hates you because you stink. (laughs) Sometimes your entrance into a resurrection breakthrough comes by experiencing somebody else's. Questions, disappointments, sorrow, fear, they all tend to block out the bigger picture in situations like the one that we see here in Bethany. I mean, what do you do when God doesn't come through the way that we would hoped he would? What should we feel when, we, when what is dearest to our hearts is suddenly snatched away? How do we come to grips with the love of God, with the disappointments we face in life? But most important, in the story of Lazarus, it reveals the scandalous availability of God's love, even if we even if we'll just reach out and accept it. But we put so many filters in front of it. We really don't know what happens. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and he wept with them, and he felt the hurt of their loneliness, which he was soon about to witness himself. The torn heart of God weeps and mourns over his creation. He's burdened, listen to he's burdened by our boredom of his blessings, That might sit a little bit later. He weeps over our lack of confidence in his word. And I'm sure he questioned, or he has this question, what else do I have to do for you to believe? I've showed you ridiculous, miraculous signs. We've seen them here. We've seen everything that would make the, the skeptic believe. Yet the believers have a tendency of not believing because they're like, show me more. Because our flesh, remember, was it Song of Solomon says everything under the sun is, what was it? Um, everything under the sun is something. Um, what? Vanity. Vanity? No, that's not the word I want. Hmm? What? Help me, preachers. We've seen everything under the sun. What else is new? We've seen salvations, we've seen healings. And sometimes we're like, well, what else, what else can you show me? And I'm sure that there were frustrations that when Jesus wept, it wasn't just because he was mourning with Mary and Martha, but he had taught these guys, he had taught the disciples, he taught them everything. He's like, oh my God, I can't believe, what else do I have to do for you guys? And he's weeping over the torn hearts of humanity and his creation. So we comes to the story. And he says, Father, I thank you. Everything that Jesus did, he did to bring glory to the Father. He never for once took everything upon himself and said, look what I did and look, look at all that I am. In verse 40, he says, didn't I tell you that if you believed that you would see the glory of God? Scripture says that my My sheep hear my voice. And if you're not hearing his voice, clean out your ears. I mean, do something. But he said, did I not tell you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? And if we want to see the glory of God, we must live in and from the presence of God daily. I'm sure that Mary and Martha, they did all the right things. But I don't really think that they were living from the presence of God. They might have been living from an experience. But had they been living from the presence of God, Jesus never would have told them three times in the story, if you believe. Uh. Here's some questions for you to ponder for yourself. Do you involve yourself in religious practices and still find yourself pitiful, predictable, and passionless? Are you starring for that manifested glory of God and longing for signs of power in your life but still don't see it happening? Do you find yourself working and striving and pressing and doing all the right things for all the right reasons with no results? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I know I can, I know I can, I know I can. Could it be that we have sought his gifts rather than his presence? Could it be that our motives for promotion and favor with our peers have outweighed our desire to just be with him? I don't know. Could it be that we have become so accustomed to powerless lives that we have accepted blandness and mediocrity as the norm? I don't know. Could we have resolved in our hearts that the great and mighty acts and power were reserved for biblical heroes of the faith? Instead of us? I don't know. The good news is the biblical heroes of the faith were no different than you and I. At all. Satan's greatest opposition of doubt comes at the point of your breakthrough in faith. Hmm. The overshadowing presence of God is what creates the miracles, and it's up to us like Mary and Martha to come under the canopy or the covering of his glory. And I know that you were waiting for this. So here it is. We must be a people that passionately pursue His presence, rather than pampering and peddling our passive, pitiful, pathetic poison of premeditated priestly performances. If I say that real t- real fast, you'll think I'm blessed. But understand what I wrote, because I love doing stuff like this. There's a part of my brain that's a little bit weird that goes with my body, and some of you come. You know, whenever I get this chance, they're like, Oh, what's the paragraph with all the one letters gonna be this time? But how many would agree we must be a people that passionately pursue his presence? We can start there. Yeah. Rather than pampering and peddling our passive pitiful, pathetic poison of premeditated priestly performances. Because we need to get out of the religious routine the ruts that the religious routine put us in because I mean, the very moment that we start thinking that we got it all together, God just has a way of changing things. The very moment that we think that we got it together, we soon find ourselves that we have a timeshare in a tomb. And then you wonder, why is it so dark? Why is there no light here? Because we've relied on our own practices. We've relied on our own abilities. We've relied on our own talents. And we don't need God anymore. Oh, yeah, okay. If I was in a black church, they'd be shouting me down. (laughs) But we in a white church. (laughs) The glory of God needs the presence of God in in order to be manifested. The glory of what? The open manifestation of his attributes and his nature. It is the exposure of his character and his power. It is the handiwork of God before your very eyes. That the presence of God is the conduit through which the glory comes. You'll catch this. That God's glory needs a conductor in order for it to flow out. (laughs) The presence of God releases the realm of miracles. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, they're in their glory. You may be a great bowler. They're in their glory. You may be a good football player. You're in their glory. You may be a great accountant. you're You're in the glory. But when you're in the glory, there's a presence that comes along with that. When God's presence, when his manifested presence shows up, then he begins functioning out of the glory. See, Lazarus didn't need a funeral director. He needed, he needed, he needed someone with hope. He needed somebody with an answer. He needed someone that was going to be the resurrection in the life. He didn't need anybody else to tell him he was dead. He already knew that. And the word for you today is this. You don't need anybody else telling you you're dead. You need someone to come up to you and tell you that you're alive. I tell you what, when I walk up and down the streets, even now, there's a bunch of crazy dead and decaying people walking around. they don't need anybody to tell them they're dead. They need you and I to bring life to them, to bring hope to them, to bring resurrection to them. Matthew five and 16 says let our light so shine before men that they may see our good deeds and praise the father that's in heaven. Psalm 34 and eight, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is he who takes refuge in him. This should be our declaration today as we begin slowly to wrap this up. That if you want a taste of God from the picture of life, then come drink my glass. Let that be your declaration to everybody. If you want a taste of God from the picture of life, then come and drink my glass. When we pour our lives to others, they will drink of us, but taste of him. Mm -hmm. So what do people taste like when they drink of you? If you were told to let your light shine before men, would they be blind? I don't know, just a thought. So verse 39, he says, the roll away the stone. Now watch this. This gets really interesting from this point moving forward. He says, the roll away the stone. That stone represents the blocks that we put up. The coverings, us hiding out in the darkness. The Greek word is lithos, and it means tablet. Check this out. This is cool. This is what happens when you study. It's the same word in Leviticus and Exodus where God engraved the commandments on, where he engraved the law, the Ten Commandments. Because it's one thing to weep and go to the tomb. It's another thing to remove the very thing that keeps you locked up. And the law keeps you from accessing the tomb. And what religious rituals prevent you from going to the tombs of this city. What religious rituals prevent you from going to the tombs of the city? What precious pride prohibits you from going? There were Levitical laws in place for the conduct of the priest. And Jesus being the high priest, the priest, he recognized that. And he was not allowed to come in and contact with the dead. He was not allowed to have any contact with the dead whatsoever according to the law. But he may not be able to touch According to Leviticus, what was dead, but how I many know he was a fulfillment of the law, and it never said that he couldn't speak. It said he couldn't go there, but he never said he couldn't speak. So the law said it's over, but it can't replace grace. When grace shows up in your decay, life shows up as well. And so when he said, roll away the stone, he revealed the law. He pulled that thing away. John 10, 10 says, Jesus comes to give life and to give it more abundantly. And the reason some people feel that their life stinks is because of the blocks, the barriers that they have erected or entombed themselves to hold back the love of God. And and even when Jesus is constantly knocking at the door, So my prayer is, Lord, help them to remove the self-limiting beliefs and behaviors, all the hurts, all the habits, and all the hang-ups. And Jesus, therefore, Jesus told them to roll away the stone. Now, this is interesting, the word them, because at the time, there was only Mary and Martha there. How are these two women going to roll away that stone? Now, some translations will say the Jews were there as well. But he said, you need to roll away the stone, And with that statement, Mary and Martha had to have the faith to look beyond their problem, to look toward a slim possibility, and also practice obedience because they've given Jesus access to the very thing that was causing them pain. And here's the cool part. (laughs) Lazarus, come forth! Now, I don't know if he sounded like Charlton Heston. He could have said, Lazarus, get out of your bed, you lazy bum. But the point is, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And this is something that I kind of wrestled with a little bit. Because then it said he waited. Jesus' word will never violate free will. Hmm. If he was the embodiment of the resurrection, then just his presence alone in front of the tomb could have brought Lazarus back to life. But when he said, come forth, he was waiting for Lazarus to make a decision. Remember before, I've always said, decisions determine the direction of your destiny. And if that's true, then delayed decisions also determine the direction of your destiny. You see, the spoken word was already sent back in verse four. You're going to get this tomorrow and your shout is going to give birth to shout. The spoken word was already released in the grave in verse 4 when he said he's only sleeping he's not going to die and the word was sent to the grave long before Lazarus ever went to the grave but when Lazarus went to the grave it came in contact with the word that was spoken because the word spoken it had an assignment attached to that and when and, and life was assigned to Lazarus and when Lazarus went into the tomb Jesus was there and he said Lazarus come forth and how I many know Jesus uh, what's his name Lazarus had to make a decision on his deathbed. Lazarus was alive Can you imagine him I knew that you would come he's all wrapped up who knew that you would come I knew that you would come mm. This test is about to bring a testimony because I don't know how many times you've heard the command of the Lord But you laid in your deathbed wrapped in your swaddling clothes your stinky clothes waiting for something else But God spoke, and he has spoken. And I don't know what some people are waiting for, but he had to wait. I mean, Lazarus heard the word, and he had to get out of bed himself. He had to make a decision. Why do you think Jesus He couldn't go in there. The, The Levitical law prevented him from going. He couldn't touch a dead person. It's in Leviticus 10. He couldn't go there, but he spoke it. And that spoken word activated his faith. Lazarus could have remained in death clothes, although it would have been hard to breathe. But he chose to get up even when surrounded by decay and leave the tomb. What does it tell me? That suddenly the period placed by humanity becomes an exclamation point inserted by divinity. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Can you hear Lazarus? Oh, I can hear Lazarus. I knew that you would come. Can you get these grave clothes off? So the second thing he says, Jesus gives the command: take off the grave clothes. When you've oh good, I got five minutes. When you when you're saved, God says you're innocent, you're forgiven, you're made new, you're accepted, and you're beloved. But often we're saying to ourselves, we're guilty, we're rejected, we're losers, we're trapped, we're wrapped. We don't we don't live in that place anymore. we we're, we're, we're dead. And he says, take off the grave clothes and put on your grace clothes. And what's interesting in this story is that when you're sleeping, God is still sending. So I don't know if you saw that way back then, God is sending. Now, I've been doing this crazy thing called Uber, and uh, oh my God, I've seen some of the most, well, I can't say that word. I've seen some of the most interesting people after midnight, because from six To nine, they're in this thing called pre-pre-pre-party. And then from nine to 12, they're a little goofy. But after midnight, that's when all the weird people come up out of their graves. The girls have no filters. The boys are loud and obnoxious. I did say one thing. I had four loud Western guys, big, strong guys, and they were loud and obnoxious in my Lexus, and I didn't like that. Because my I have a sexy Lexi. It doesn't allow, It doesn't like being loud. Need people are like, can you play your loud music? Play, give me. A... I've learned one thing: never give a drunk Western kid, you know, my my what do you call it, my audio cable thing? Because they'll put some nasty stuff on there. I'm like, man, I hadn't even heard this kind of stuff before. And they're like, yeah, Amazing Grace, you know. And it's really kind of weird. So I had these four individuals in there, and they said, what do you do? Because obviously you driving a Lexus, you're not an Uber driver. I said, oh, I work for the London Police Department. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, God, give me something. I don't know. I mean, that came out, and I could have turned backwards real quick. But it was amazing because there was a lot of snow. And these four white boys, they turned every shade of white that you can imagine. Oh, we respect that, sir. You're an awesome job. La yeah, You can let us off here. And I thought, thank you, Lord. You got these four numbskulls num- out of my car just for giving me a, and I've never used that since. But here's the thing. When I'm driving this Uber thing, I, I'm, I don't know if I should say this, but I'll say it. There's some hurting people, man. There's some crazy hurting people. There's some crazy, there's some, there's some gals out there. I'll just, I'll paraphrase it this way because, and, and make this as G as I can. There's some girls out there that'll do everything and anything just for acceptance. Everything and anything just for, and they tell me. I'm like, what is this, like the mobile confession booth after midnight? And I was, I'm driving these people, and I'm praying for these people. And some people, I can give them the cards to the church. Other times, you know, they'll say, hey, what is your, what is your opinion? One girl was all upset that her dad was all up in her grill about something. And she made the mistake of saying, what is, what is your opinion? I said, have you ever given any thought to the fact that you are his only daughter going to Western, the party animal place of the planet, and you're his only daughter, and you're all worried about how, how your, the cuff on your hem is? And he's worried about you. Have you ever thought that your daddy just loves you? Because I only got one girl. I got four crazy guys and one girl. And I made a mistake when she went off the Reading. One of her little friends came in, and I, and I just said, hey, don't stay. stay away from my daughter. And, oh, boy, that was a bad thing. But I said, have you ever thought that your dad just loves you? No, I never really thought about that. Some other girls are out there, and they're doing all kind of crazy stuff. And I, and I just said, man... One, one girl in particular I picked her up at and she says, she says, I was at Jackson. I don't even know how I got here. Really? She said, how would I get here? I said, heck, I know. I'm just here to pick you up, to take you somewhere else. <laughs> she said, I don't know how I got here. And I told her, I said, you know what? I said, you're a, you're a fine cuisine handcrafted by the master chef, Jesus himself. You're not a buffet for somebody to pick up what they want and, what, and get rid of you like a cold piece of pizza. I said, you got value that you don't even know. Of. Thank you very much, sir. I of mean, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And sometimes you have to sow seeds of righteousness and life and love to people who are waddling in their own tombs of decay and denial. And so because of that, I don't know, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I had this crazy idea in the summer. And I, don't, I haven't really run this by anybody, but I had this crazy idea of, you know, LOL, love on London, it's not a laughing matter. And I don't know if that I means, you know, like when I was out, <coughs> excuse me, the other night, and I just, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of homeless people all over the place, and are some legitimate homeless people. And I tell you what, I'd much rather be, be burned and, 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 and remain soft than, you know, than just be hard and cold. And, and I saw people out there just under blankets. It was freezing the other night, and I couldn't stop. I was on a, you know, taking people somewhere. But I thought, man, I got to do something. And I don't know what that something looks like, because I don't think the answer is just a hot dog. But I think the answer is just simply, we love you. Can you imagine what that would be like in the city if all you ever did is give somebody a hug and say, I love you? They're not going to punch you out. Some of you are so so, afraid of everything. Stuck in the mud. You're afraid. But Jesus is going to call you to the tombs of the city. Because the heart of the Father is for all of humanity, not just for Martha and Mary. And I'm almost done. And Cheryl's giving me that. The last thing is, he says to let him go. John 11 verse 45 says, "Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit you guys can come up. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, and they put their faith in him." Some of them. Some of them didn't. And it's a long accepted theory that the resurrection of Lazarus was a foreshadowing of Christ's own resurrection. And such a claim could be substantiated by the fact that immediately after the miracle, people headed to the Pharisees and brought about a plot to kill Jesus. You would think that after the raising of the dead, that everybody like, okay, I believe now. But some of them went back to the Pharisees some of them went back to their own tomb and are we all that different now that when God reveals himself to us that we take it in but we go back to our old ways and back to our own thing back to our own tomb time and time again faith is our heart's response to the claims of Jesus and we are putting our trust in the revelation of his nature Today, today, may, it may be your second day. It may be your fourth day. You may be walking in this place, you think It may be your second day. It may be your first day on the way to the fourth day. Whatever the case is, the point is that there's no tomb too dark, too deep, or too wide, or too smelly that God can't invade and take you out of. That's it. It's the torn heart of God. For all humanity that compels him to go to the tombs of this city. And there are way too many people lying on the bed of ignorance in the tomb of denial that say that there's no Christ, and it's, but it's up to us to be tomb invaders. The exciting thing about this story is it doesn't end in chapter 11. The good part of it is in chapter 12. Because it says, as a result of the spoken word, listen, as the result of the spoken word in verse 4, when he said, Lazarus is just sleeping, and the obedience of Lazarus when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he gets up. John chapter 12 and 11 says, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Now, I don't want to read into this any more than what it was, but had Jesus not responded to the command, I don't think there would have been a whole lot of people giving their life to Jesus. Because in verse 19, it says, (laughs) this is so cool. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And yet, we come to church, and that's cool. But I think God is telling us, especially coming into the summer now and everything that Pastor Carl and his staff has planned for us, that he really wants us to go to the tombs. If we want to see resurrection in the city, God's going to call you to go to a tomb. It may stink. It may not look like the right place. Years ago, when we were on the road, we would go we would be doing evangelism trainings and teachings and then we would get this we would we would say how many you want to see the hand of God and all the saints would go yeah glory because they thought they were going to see the hand of God here I said nope we're going to the bar and you want to see a bunch of church people out of their out of their glory out of their function out of their zone walking into a bar like a bunch of men I mean it was long dresses and it just didn't fit but God did that for us all the time. We would go to the Lost Saloon Biker Bar in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. People said, one, one, one pastor, he, 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 I'll close with this. He looked the pastor apart. He had the nice suit and pens in his pocket. He said, "Where are we going to do? I said, we're going to go do some outreach. He, he said, good. I said, where are we going? We're going to the Lost Saloon Biker Bar. I'd never been there before, but it looked like the place to go. We get in there and he he says, what do you do? I said, I don't know, pick up a pool stick. So we're picking up a pool stick. Now the people that we were ministering to, for whatever reason, they didn't like me, but they liked him. And they felt more comfortable with him. The cool thing about it is he began to minister to so many of the people in that lost saloon biker bar. That was the tomb of the city. There was a lot of hurting people there. One of the guys came up to me and he said, hey, what do you do for a living? I said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you no, what do you do for a living? I said, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm in blankety blank construction. What do you do? Oh, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. No, seriously, what do you, and, 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 and if you get a biker telling you three times, what do you do? You better listen, and it's because these guys eat glass for lunch, and, and he, he said, what do you do? I said, God called me here to minister to you guys. Then he goes this, hey guys, the son of a blank church people are here. They didn't hit us with bottles. They didn't hit us with pool sticks. They came around and embraced us as if we were their own. And yet we're so afraid to go. Why? Because we're functioning in fear and not faith. Let's stand. Change happens when we represent the Father's heart of God everywhere we go. In order to be in places of influence and power, we must put on the mind of Christ. Let compassion rule our tongue and our actions, and that will help us present a living Jesus to a dying world. Father, we thank you for this church. God, I thank you for this word. Trust it went out right. If I get to do it again, it'll come out even better, but I thank you for it. But Father, I pray most of all today for those who have walked into this place, they have no idea what resurrection is all about. All they know is that they are in their tomb. All they know is that it's sealed. All they know that it's dark. dark. Because there's nothing worse than seeing somebody who thinks that they're spiritually alive when they're actually dead and dying on the inside. Father I pray in Jesus name on your word Lazarus come forth Impact come forth London come forth and Lord God that you have spoken life and freedom into many of these people here today maybe last week when Zach was preaching maybe the week before when Pastor Carl was there maybe when Cheryl was coming but Lord God I'm standing right here today as the oracle of God and just declaring in Jesus name let that word come forth that was planted and sown in the seed and in the womb of their expectancy today you're here today and you've never publicly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ here today, I'm asking you to come out of your tomb. I'm asking you to get off your bed and you might be, you might be alive and, and and you still might have your grave clothes on. Don't worry about that. Somebody will take those off. That's the exciting thing about the stories because when you come out of your tomb, you're not alone. You got a community of believers that love the silly out of you. And they're gonna take they're gonna help you take those grave clothes off. Some of you still might have a few remnants left on, but that's okay. If you ask for help, we'll help you take it off. If you're here today, you've never given your life to Christ. Oh, you may have given your life to a situation, you may have given your life to an experience, but you've really never had that intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. It was like Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he said, the people that you love are sick. Can I tell you today that there's nothing you've ever done or ever will do that will ever change God's love for you? Because he loves you enough to foresee what happened in Lazarus as the thing that took him to the grave, to the cross. On the count of three, you say, Bobby, you got to be the weirdest freak I've ever seen all day today, but something about you, what you said is ringing true in my spirit. I definitely need Jesus to become a reality in my life. On the count of three, I just want you to slip up your hand, and then somebody will come around and pray for you and, and love on you. Some of you just need somebody to love on you. That's all you need. On the count of three, if that's you, one, two, three. Anybody? You say, I desperately need Jesus to invade the tomb of my life. Just slip up your hand, one in the back. And Say, pray for me, Bobby. Just pray for me. Let us not be so prideful. I see your hand. Let us not be so prideful that we can't accept prayer. I see your hand back there too. Father, we love you. We embrace you. We thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, God, I just speak resurrection for everyone here today, for the three or four that raised their hand to to publicly acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior, but the rest of us, I pray, God, that you would just, that we would roll away the stone ourselves and say, God, I let you in. I let you in. I'm going to ask the prayer team, the elders to come forward, if you don't mind, please. For those of you who have raised your hand, we'd love to pray for you, but if there's anybody that is around you, if you saw their hands go up, please go to them and just love on them a little bit. Love on them a little bit, but if you need prayer, for whatever it is we got some folks that definitely know what they're doing and they're definitely going to usher you in to the throne of grace here today in Jesus name if you need prayer feel free to come on up if not I release you to the tombs of the city go and show the love of grace the love of the father show an answer be an answer in Jesus name amen God bless you